Howdy, hello, and hey, y'all. This is the Lou Crew and you, coming to you from the beautiful University of Louisville. It's Holy Week. We've had our Ash Wednesday services. Some have observed Lent for the last several weeks, uh, and we are now at the culmination of this season, and in many ways, the culmination of, of arguably the greatest chapter in Christian history, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and of course, Easter. And uh, it is Easter, and, and specifically the resurrection, that we will be diving into in this episode. Uh, but before we do that, got a little question for the room. Jimmy and Alexis are here with me today. Jimmy, Alexis, what is your favorite holiday? Yeah, so I think my favorite holiday would have to be Thanksgiving. And that's three main reasons. One, obviously the food. I love food. Um, two, it like whenever you were in school, it's like, oh, wow, school's almost over. The holidays are coming up. And so, and then also, you know, you get to be with family and all, and that's always fun. But mainly the food. I mean, let's be real. Thanksgiving has the best food. But that's that's me. I don't What's know. your favorite Thanksgiving food? Oh, easily cream corn, mashed potatoes, any sides. Let's be real. The Thanks- sides are the best The part. sides, <laughs> or anything that's a side is, is, is good. Let's just be honest. But yeah, mm-hmm. Thanksgiving has to be my favorite. We... On almost said Christmas. No, oh crap! I almost said Easter too. On Thanksgiving, we always make turkey, and then since there's only like four of us in the house and none of us eat that much, my mom will make turkey hash the next day. Nice. So then, like, we use the entire turkey. Mm-hmm. And personally, I think I like turkey hash more than I like the turkey itself. I mean, we always we started deep frying our turkey a few years ago because that's way better than normal turkey. But you know. I just love food, so lots of food and a reason to eat with people. Thanksgiving's my favorite. I love Thanksgiving as well, but that's not my favorite holiday. My favorite holiday is probably Christmas, and you know, cause Jesus. But also <laughs> because like it's in the winter, but like winter isn't my favorite season. But I do very much enjoy the snow, and everything just looks so pretty whenever we're blessed with a nice blanket of snow and you know everybody is just feels so into the christmas spirit even if they're not a christian like they love the holiday and everybody yeah. decorates i love it because like it just looks so pretty there's so many colors and i get to watch my favorite christmas movie elf and then also yeah. you know one of the best parts is the cheesy hallmark movies yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, you can't go wrong with a Hallmark movie because it's just, like, the easiest, most simple plot. It's like, oh, Like, you you're know. not going to get, like, <laughs> anxious or anything about what's going to happen because as soon as you watch the first scene, you know the entire movie. You know the plot. And yeah. But, you know, it still gets you at the end. You're like, man, that was, you know, that made me feel mm-hmm. something. <laughs> yeah. I also like the new Netflix Hallmark movies. Those are pretty good. Like, the little Christmas Prince movies. I don't really watch... Oh, they're terrible. Okay. They're so bad. <laughs> and I love them. Hey, whatever, whatever, whatever you're about. <laughs> ah, see, those are both incredible holidays. Like, it's hard to pick a favorite. I always hate questions like this, icebreakers and things, when it's like, what is your favorite thing? And uh, because all of it, right? <laughs> Everything. Um, but my favorite holiday, I usually say that mine is the 4th of July. Uh, it that's just always been like my whole life growing up. That's been my favorite one. I just, I love the fireworks, the food, the family. You got great weather. 
uh, watermelon and hot dogs and time at the pool or the lake. Uh, it's just beautiful. Just everything that you could you could want from a holiday. All the red, white, and blue everywhere. It just looks great. It's the best. Uh, yeah, I usually go with the 4th of July. But all that said, my goal here today is that the next time someone asks that question, we're all going to say Easter by the end of this episode. We're going to convince you that Easter should be your favorite holiday for all time. But to kick off the podcast, we are going to throw it over to what is becoming one of my favorite segments, On the Line. We like to warm up for the hard work of tackling questions that are supposed to be aimed at literal God. <laughs> like we're, we're answering questions. Like if you could ask God one question, what would it be? We're trying to answer questions for the actual God of the universe. <laughs> and so to get our brain flowing a little bit, uh, we do the on the line segment discussing pop culture headlines from the net, uh, as we call it here, that relate to the Christian lifestyle. So I'll throw it over to Jimmy. Yeah, thanks, uh, Mitch. Yeah, so for the first on the line segment this uh, episode, we are going to be talking about uh, one kind of tragic one, but then also one kind of just dumb, crazy one. I don't even know. Childish. If it's Childish is a good word. But the first one was about a pastor in Oklahoma. I don't know if you heard about this, but he was given a sermon on how you need to make sure and you know share the gospel to his congregation. You know, and he was. Uh, very one of the main points was about how to expect persecution like you're going to be persecuted for sharing Jesus and the gospel which is true and then literally like hours later like that day this pastor was killed um and you know was there a correlation you know maybe not maybe but it's just like it goes to remind us that like you never really know your time and mm -hmm. how you know at least you know, on his final day he was speaking the truth which is hey go share the gospel um, but we just thought that was wild how he's like, yeah, expect persecution. And then like hours later, he's like, oh, he's dead. I mean, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. I don't know. It just blows the mind. You never really know your time. Yeah. And I kind of like how you mentioned that because sometimes, you know, when Christians go out and evangelize, they're, you know, they're always like, well, you know, I have plenty of time to figure that stuff out. Yep. It's like, no, you don't. Yep. Like literally you, like you, you just don't <laughs> no. know. Absolutely. I mean, his congregation there's probably somebody in his congregation who said that. It's like, I mean, I don't know why it has to be that urgent, you know. Mm -hmm. And then their pastor's dead. So, you know, it's just yeah, this is the last sermon. kind of a sober reminder um, for our first on the line segment of something that happened in Oklahoma. And um, But Alexis is going to share our next one. It's kind of a shift. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so next one is probably something that everybody in the world has heard by now. It's about Lil Nas X and the Satan shoes. Mm -hmm. So um, the rapper came out with a new music video, and it's pretty controversial. He knew that it would be, um, and it inspired the Satan shoes. So they made 666 pairs of these shoes. They have a single drop of human blood or in the so, soles. So he says. Yeah, so he said. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Can you do that? Can you put human blood I in mean, a shoe? Who knows? It's, it's, it's all dumb. I don't know why they would really lie. I mean, yeah. But um, so, yeah, there's also a pentagram over the laces, which is, you know, like the devil symbol. There's an upside-down cross, which, if you do not know, that is not 
actually a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Peter supposedly was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy enough to be crucified in the same manner that his Messiah was. So over time, as Jimmy and I talked about, like it became something that was seen. Yeah, as bad. through movies and whatnot, and you know, there's probably more history to it, but it's not like it's biblical where it's yeah. like an upside down cross is like a sign of the devil. That's just something that's arisen, um, but it's not has any real meaning to it. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, written on the side of the shoe. I think there's also six 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 on there, mm-hmm. but. Um, yeah, there is the verse from the Gospel of Luke. It is from chapter 10, verse 18, where Jesus says that he saw Satan fall from heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, not a good thing for Satan, obviously. <laughs> so, but And I was um, when I heard about the story, um, my f- first thought was, well, that's dumb. But then my second mm-hmm. thought was literally, well, he's putting a scripture on the shoe which might make people interested in the rest of that chapter and go read this, the rest of it. So actually, you're bringing people to the Bible. Mm-hmm. So thanks, Lil Nas. <laughs> yeah, he didn't. I mean, he didn't really think this through. But you know, hey, that's just that's just my perspective. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the shoes also cost one thousand and eighteen dollars. Mm. I thought that was kind of a weird price. Yep. Turns out it is because of the verse Luke ten eighteen. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. So, that one's pretty clever, I'm not going to lie. Fair, you know, yeah, hey. That did, yeah. <laughs> there, was a, there was a little thought that went to that one. Yeah. Um, but as a kind of a comeback to this, Kanye West and then another person he collaborated with came out with the Chick-fil-A shoes. <laughs> <laughs> and they got John 316 on it. He hey. said how every single shoe has one drop of Chick-fil-A sauce in it. I, I mean... Pretty clever, not gonna lie, but I think that's really clever. <laughs> yeah. I would, I would buy that shoe. Oh, I definitely buy that shoe. Yeah. Can you imagine Chick Fil A shoes? Oh, I don't know. That's, that should be like that's... standard uniform in every Chick Fil A restaurant now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be great. Oh yeah. Also on the box of the shoes, it says it is better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. Hmm. Which I think a lot of people like to think they'll think that hell is going to be super super fun because yeah. people have such a misconception of what hell is like yeah like we really downplay it a lot yeah and i think that also comes from a misconception of heaven it's like mm-hmm. be with the like ultimate good and be an everlasting peace where there's no tears and no pain or be where there's gnashing of teeth and like screaming and mm-hmm. eternal fire oh, but I'll get to do what I want, quote, unquote. It's like, oh, you, maybe you should read the Bible. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Maybe you should read the Bible. But we just, yeah, so that's that's the second on the line segment. We thought it was pretty dumb, but, you know, it's, it's what's happening in our culture, and we think it's pretty wild, but... He got a lot of backlash for it. Yeah. He's, um, which, I don't know if he was as surprised, but, I mean... Oh, no, he expected it. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure, you know, publicity stunt, but... Did this surprise you? Um... I don't know, with our culture nowadays, I feel like people kind of do anything just to, like, you know, get that publicity attention, mm-hmm. so it doesn't surprise me, but it's also, like, he actually did it, so it's kind of surprising. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just dumb and unfortunate, but, you know, just read your Bibles, read Chick-fil-A, uh, buy Chick-fil-A shoes, and you'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wasn't surprised. Really? Yeah. Hmm. And that, I think that kind of surprised me, but then I was like, why... Why should I be surprised? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, thank God for 
Chick-fil-A shoes. I mean, thank God for Chick-fil-A. And now, now thank God for Chick-fil-A shoes. Uh, I really hope that those are real, those Chick-fil-A shoes. That's going to be on my wish list. My birthday's coming up May 8th. So uh, if anybody's looking for something to get me, Chick-fil-A shoes. <laughs> but, you know, that that's just, I mean, also just thank God that Christ is raised and and he reigns in the midst of of both of those things um, that we talked about for, for on the line. Those, the shoes in particular, uh, though, make me physically ill to think about. Like they make me, me sick to my stomach, you know, and, uh, and, and not in the good way that like too many chocolate bunnies, you know, can make you feel sick to your stomach. And like, you know, cue, cue the bunny song from Veggie Tales. You know what I'm talking about? The bunny song. Um, yeah, not, not in the same way. The shoes make me feel like physically ill. Uh, and so I hope it's a publicity stunt. You know, I pray, I pray that it is and that it goes away. Um, and that, uh, I pray that God can use it in, in, in the way you're saying, Jimmy, where, um, ultimately it gets them to open a Bible maybe and look at a verse and look at one more and look at another. And eventually, uh, they come to know Christ, but man, but, uh, yeah. So speaking of chocolate bunnies though, let's talk about Easter symbols. Right, one more sidebar uh, here before we we get into the meat and potatoes, uh, or as we should say, I suppose, eggs and candy of this episode. Uh, I wanted to have some fun and take a look at some of the common Easter traditions and symbols, and just briefly dive into their various histories. Um, so I have pulled up an article from the History Channel, actually, of all places. Uh, History Channel has an article from March 24th of this year. Uh, It was updated March 24th, 2021. It's originally from 2009. Um, But it's about Easter symbols and traditions, um, which I thought was kind of cool because Easter is obviously a Christian holiday uh, and is the focus of our Christian podcast here. Um, But as they say in this article, the Bible makes, quote, the Bible makes no mention of a long-eared, short-tailed creature who delivers decorated eggs to well-behaved children on Easter Sunday. (laughs) So where did this come from? Right? I thought it'd be kind of fun. Um, So yeah, let's talk about the Easter Bunny. Uh, I'm basically going to be reading this from the article um, just because I think it's super interesting and they did a great job compiling it. So shout out to the History Channel. Um, Also going to sign my sources up front in saying that. Uh, Again, it's history.com slash topics slash holidays slash Easter symbols. Um, That way my my well-conditioned collegiate soul is not panicking uh, over the possibility of plagiarism. Uh, But yeah, I'm going to read from here. Um, So when it talks about the Easter bunny, um, like it says, we're not, not entirely sure about the exact origins of, uh, of the Easter bunny and how it became to be associated specifically with Christianity. Um, They say, according to some sources, the Easter bunny first arrived in America in the 1700s with German immigrants who settled in Pennsylvania and transported their tradition of an egg-laying hare called Osterheis or Osterhaus. Haus. I'm sure I made a mess of that, uh, and I apologize. <laughs> their children made nests in which this creature could lay its colored eggs. Eventually, the custom spread across the U.S., and the fabled 
Rabbit's Easter morning deliveries expanded to include chocolate and other types of candy and gifts with decorated baskets replacing the nests. Uh, it says here, additionally, children often let out left out carrots for the bunny in case he got hungry from all his hopping. I think that's very careful of them. I love that. That's uh, very uh, cookies and milk for Santa, which is fantastic. Um, so that's kind of some background on the Easter bunny. Uh, Easter eggs. Where did those come from? So um, it actually says... Easter is a religious holiday, but some of its customs, such as Easter eggs, are likely linked to pagan traditions. Uh, The egg, an ancient symbol of new life, has been associated with pagan festivals celebrating spring. And by pagan, uh, essentially, that is a non-Christian denomination. That's going to be, yeah, uh, kind of folk sort of religion. Um, From a Christian perspective, though, uh, which we can always find Christian perspective in things. Uh, Easter eggs are said to represent Jesus' emergence from the tomb and resurrection. Um, decorating the eggs for Easter is a tradition that dates back to at least the 13th century, according to some sources. So that's kind of cool. Um, one explanation for this custom is that eggs were formerly a forbidden food during the Lenten season, so people would paint and decorate them to mark the end of the period of penance and fasting, and then eat them on Easter as a celebration. Nice. That makes sense. We never ate the eggs that we decorated. I feel like maybe once or twice. I think it was kind of cool because if you dyed them, if you dyed them and they turned like blue on the shell, they were like also blue inside, which was, it was like kind of weird too (laughs) to try and eat a blue egg, you know? Um, Yeah. So there's a lot of other traditions that they list in here and symbols, Easter lilies, uh, lamb and other traditional Easter foods, Easter parades, Easter candy in general. Um, But those are our two big ones that I thought would be kind of fun to get into history. Like, where do we get the Easter bunny from? Because after this, we're not going to talk about bunnies at all for the rest of this episode. Because like they said, it's not the Bible at all. So where did that come from? That was kind of cool. One last thing I'll leave you with is this fun fact about Easter eggs. Did you know? The largest Easter egg ever made was over 25 feet high and weighed over 8,000 pounds. It was built out of chocolate and marshmallow and supported by an internal steel frame. Oh my goodness. That is... Yeah, talking about a stomach egg. How long would it take to eat a 25-foot Easter egg? Mm. <laughs> If you just get one, then you can just get one Easter egg for the rest of your life. <laughs> uh, anyways, that's some fun facts for you about Easter uh, and about Easter bunnies and Easter eggs, and Easter symbols. So with that, we have two very real and relevant Christian questions to attack today. Uh, and to be honest, I'm not sure what the best order is to address these two topics. Uh if I'm being honest, these are two questions that I know I, I struggled with for a long while uh, as well. And you'll see in a moment. I think that you'll agree with me. These are these are questions that you can that you accept uh, when you as as a Christian and when you become a Christian, and yet somehow you still have questions about. Um, and and so that's why we're kind of diving into these around the Easter season. Uh, the biggest questions about Easter are: first of all, did the resurrection actually happen? Uh, and, and then why does the resurrection matter? Um, 
So I struggle with like which way is the best to talk about these because like is it best to establish why it even matters before bothering with whether it even happened because like who cares if it happened if it doesn't matter or is or is it better to establish that it happened before deciding if it matters or not because it's already decided if it doesn't matter if it didn't even happen right so it's kind of a you know forgive the pun but it's kind of a, a which came first the Easter bunny or the egg scenario. <laughs> Um, well, spoiler alert, here's the thing. We, we already do know that the resurrection did happen. Uh, and we, we do know that it does matter. Um, so, but like I said, for anyone who may be struggling with doubts, and and by the way, we are so glad that you're making the effort to wrestle through these, these very tough topics. There's no problem with that, uh, to be an act of, of wrestling with, these issues of uh, their stories in the Bible, uh, literally wrestling with God um, because you're in the action of it still engaging with God. Um, but for those of you who may be struggling, you know, I think it's, I think it's probably most logical for us to talk about the evidence that the resurrection was very real event and then discuss why, why it matters, why a dead guy coming back to life matters so much to us outside of Halloween. Right. Um, and I think that's what we're, how we're going to go about doing this. So just before we jump into one of the main questions um, for the episode today, I just want to set a little foundation about um, what the Bible is um, more than just, you know, this book that's written in English that people think, you know, is just another book. But the Bible is also a historical document. And so a really amazing kind of fact that puts into perspective um, the Bible as a historical document is when you compare like the amount of like primary sources we have attesting um, the resurrection and crucifixion from the Bible compared to other sources. So for example, we have, you know, Paul, who was a real person. We have the Gospels. They were real people. And people think, well, Mark, that's not a very Middle Eastern name. It's like, well, Mark is the English equivalent of their names. You know, it's like, and so these were real people um, that wrote, like, within the first century of the event, eyewitnesses, and um, a comparison as far as historical events. So the death of Caesar, uh, people believe that. People know that that that's true historically, that he was killed by the Senate, and um, that is recorded in history. Um, that is, like, the second most attested to, like, historical event um, that we have, like, sources for. Number one is the crucifixion, crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. And the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ has hundreds of, like, sources and documents and not even just in the bible but the bible is part of that like the bible like i said is a historical document but even outside of the bible whereas the death of caesar only has like a few dozen like has dozens and it's just people don't question like the death of caesar people don't think that it's like oh a myth it's like no like that's probably what happened but then when it comes to jesus people question it because of it has to do with god it has to do with christianity it has to do with biases um and so i just really wanted to point out before we even jump into the main the main evidences of um the resurrection and crucifixion and all this is that yeah um 
a lot of this evidence is from the Bible, not even all of it. We even have outside sources. Mm -hmm. But the Bible itself is a historical document written within the first, you know, the, the first generation of the event that they're talking about has eyewitness testimony. Um, and so I just wanted to kind of like set that ground level before we jump in. Yeah. So I guess we'll kind of get into it now, like with, um, did the resurrection happen? Uh, I'm going to say, honestly, when I found out that there was evidence for the resurrection, I was surprised. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. Like, I knew that it happened, but I, I guess in my mind, I was like, how do we have evidence for somebody rising from the dead? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? I feel kind of stupid <laughs> now that I actually looked at it. I was like, oh, yeah, all this makes sense. But in my mind at the time, I was like, oh, that's kind of surprising to me. But yeah, there's actually a lot of evidence to support the resurrection. And I kind of wanted to start by saying that Christianity is based on a historical event. As, you know, Jimmy was saying, like, the Bible talks about historical events. Like, it's a historical document. And, uh, yeah, so the historical event that Christianity is based on is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Mm -hmm. uh, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 17 to 19, the Apostle Paul writes, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, it just goes to show that, like, even Paul, like the person who wrote a big chunk of the New Testament. Most of it. <laughs> most of it. Like, he's he's saying back in the first century, he's saying this stuff of, hey, guys, like, if Christ didn't raise from the dead, like. This is all for nothing. This is for nothing. The, the, end, the end of that verse 19, I love that line because it's like. We're to be the most pitied people in the world if Christ hasn't raised from the dead because we're it's useless. It's it's it means nothing. And so Paul understood the importance of the resurrection and 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 like it didn't actually happen. And so um, this you know Christians Christians aren't like other people who are like we believe in something. Our faith hangs on something where it's like, well, you know, it's you it's impossible to disprove. It's like. No, Paul says right there, if, if, if he didn't raise from the dead, then, like, our faith isn't, like, doesn't mean anything. It's not like if he didn't raise from the dead, we could just be like, well, we still believe. No, we wouldn't. Yeah. And so that raises a question. Okay, well, then did it happen? <laughs> and we have, there's lots of evidence for it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. A lot of evidence. <clears throat> Some might even say a crap ton. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> One way I'm to sorry. say it. <laughs> yeah. But for the sake of time and for this episode, I will give just five pieces and you can remember this by remembering uh, a lie so a l i v e so the first part of that is a which is a death by a crucifixion um yeah so jesus was crucified and as jimmy said there is a whole lot of evidence to support that yeah there was a crucifixion and the romans had perfected the cross it actually was not um, used to kill people. It was to humiliate them and to terrorize their enemies. Uh, and, you know, we can see in which gospel is it that it talks about, is it Luke? It's probably Luke because he was the historian where it talks about um, Jesus had a spear in his side yeah, yeah. and he had blood and water pour out. And this meant that Jesus was in fact dead when mm -hmm. he was on the cross. I think it means like he had been dead for like about an hour or so mm -hmm. for that to actually happen. It's also interesting how like this 
had was said, you know, back then blood and water came out. And then nowadays with our modern medicine and medical understanding, there's a term for this. Like we know mm -hmm. what this means. And so it just goes to show that this like, as long as they just added this in to be like symbolic and deep meaning, he's like, no, I saw blood and water come out yeah. when he was stabbed. Like he saw, that's what he saw as an eyewitness testimony. So mm -hmm. yeah, I'm just saying, so that there. Okay. And then also we could see the burial in Matthew 27, verses 62 to 66 this tells us what the romans did at the tomb just to kind of make sure yeah jesus said he was going to come back we need to kind of make sure he's that that's not happening mm -hmm. um <clears throat> so they put uh well jesus was put in a solid rock tomb i don't remember who was the one that was like i want to take him. joseph of yeah. oh. so he was a member of the sanhedrin and mm -hmm. he was sympathetic to jesus mm -hmm. and he was like i want to you know bury him because you know usually they they would have just left him kind of yeah. there but he wanted to give him a burial and so joseph of arimathea who was a real person like again there's independent sources about mm -hmm. his existence about who he was um <clears throat> but yeah he he's he they buried him he's the one that buried him yeah <clears throat> so with the solid rock tomb this means uh there was only an entrance there was no way to get out and because there was an entrance they put a large stone in front uh and there was also a seal that was there so this kind of seal it was a soft moldable substance it was probably clay and uh, it was imprinted with the roman imperial seal and attached to the stone with a rope and breaking the seal would incur the empire's wrath <clears throat> and that was if someone was able to get past the guards because there were roman guards and these Roman guards, uh, I think, it, like upon research, it was like there were probably about sixteen. Yeah, this, yeah, I know we have, might have an image. I know I, I did when I grew up though. There might have been like one or two. Yeah, but like no, like they, there, there was like at least a dozen. But yeah, mm -hmm. probably probably sixteen like guards that were like on duty because I mean they they wanted to make sure this guy, you know, no one. Yeah stole the body which is one of the theories you know they want to make sure that no, nothing's happening mm -hmm. so yeah yeah uh so yeah the roman guards um the death penalty for sleeping you know yeah i messed up on that sentence but they got the death penalty <laughs> yes. if they were to be sleeping on the post and i think that's what some people try to say like oh the guards were asleep mm -hmm. so like they could have gone and stolen the body. No, they would not have yeah. fallen asleep, especially if there's 16 guards there. Yeah. No one's falling asleep and risking the death penalty. Mm -hmm. That's not happening. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, all of these just help the case. And, yeah, it guarantees that he was buried. He was there, and he didn't get stolen. Like, his body was not stolen. <laughs> I know that's a really big um, <clears throat> popular theory that goes around as far as, like, well, this the disciples could have just stole the body and we'll get to why that doesn't also work out mm -hmm. as far as why they wouldn't have stolen the body in the first place but um just pure practicality they couldn't have oh, yeah i think <laughs> that actually still goes around in the jewish community yeah because that's what the pharisees tried to say they're like oh no the disciples stole the body because mm -hmm. the thing is is like no one tries back no back then no one tried to say no the tomb was still yes there's still a body in the tomb no one tried to say that yes it 100 percent was empty yes and it's so funny because like the jewish the jewish leaders like their reaction to this event um as far as like how the empty tomb which we'll get to was the fact that like 
It wasn't to be like, oh, well, let's just go find the body. Let's get the disciples, round them up. Their reaction was, okay, how are we going to cover this up? Mm-hmm. Because they knew it was real. The tomb was empty, <laughs> you know? And so that these enemies of Christ were even like, believed that the tomb was empty. Like I said, mm-hmm. like Alexis said, there's no debate. And even nowadays in like the uh, um, historical community, there is the empty tomb is like, like I said earlier, that is the most attested to event, you know, outside of the resurrection uh, of crucifixion that, that there is, like it was empty and that's just, okay. Now we got to explain that. Right. Mm-hmm. But it, <laughs> well, explain with lies. Yes, exactly. That's a sin. And so, um, so yeah, we'll keep going there. Um, as far as well, what if somebody asks, well, is there evidence outside of the Bible for this? It's like, okay, I'll, the Bible's historical document. I get that, but maybe I don't believe it because of bias or something. Is there other historical evidence for it? And the answer would be yes. There are actually non-Christian uh, historian sources outside of the Bible that can attest to this. Uh, one of them, I think we use him quite often in the Christian community, is Josephus. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a Roman historian, and he writes, at, this, at his time, there was a wise man who was called Jesus, and his conduct was good, and he was known to be virtuous. And many people from among the Jews and the other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die, and those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported that he had appeared to them after his crucifixion and that he was alive. Accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah concerning whom the prophets have recounted wonders. So, yeah, yeah. he just kind of, right there, he confirmed some central facts that, yeah, Jesus was crucified, he was buried, and his disciples said they saw him living. And, you know, you'll get those same facts from Matthew, from Luke, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, he's, he's kind of telling it from... An outside perspective, but I mean, he reports right there. They said they saw him. He he was a good man who, who was known to be virtuous. He was real, right? I mm-hmm. mean, he was that's number one. And Pilate condemned him, crucified him. He died. There's reports of him being appeared. I mean, he even says that they reported that he had appeared because this is coming from somebody who wasn't of the Christian faith, and so mm-hmm. he's just he's just telling the facts there. Yeah. Like that's what they said they saw and. He says maybe he was the Messiah that, you know, we've been talking about and that the Jews have been talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, there is even outside the Bible sources that attest to the fact that, you know, these events happened for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Um, there's another ancient historian. His name is Tacitus. He also recounts mm-hmm. Jesus. And then there's also somebody, I think nowadays, his name is John Mayer. He's the preeminent historical Jesus scholar today. And he uh, said, for two obvious reasons, practically no one today would deny that Jesus was executed by crucifixion. This central event is recorded or alluded to not only the vast majority of the New Testament authors, but also by Josephus and Tacitus. Uh, And such an embarrassing event created a major obstacle to converting Jews and Gentiles alike the church struggled to overcome. So this uh, is kind of known as the criterion of embarrassment. That's what he mentions up there. It was an embarrassing event. So this is a type of critical analysis uh, in which an account is likely to be true as the author would have no reason to invent an account that might embarrass them. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of goes to the the next uh, piece of evidence uh, as far as that embarrassing, as far as, well... 
who were the first people to claim the resurrection. Yeah, so like Jimmy said, that leads us into our second point. The L is that ladies saw Jesus first after the resurrection. We can read this um, in John 20, I think also in Luke as well. Uh, But yeah, this was embarrassing that women had found Jesus first. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why Jesus appeared to women first is because it's like, why would you lie about something that was embarrassing? Mm -hmm. It it hurt their credibility of the story. And they were mocked, like Christians were mocked because women saw him first. Mm -hmm. And it says even in Luke 24, 11, that the disciples didn't even believe the women at first. Yeah. Because, you know, they just... And in their culture, why would they? Yeah. Yeah, literally, why would they? And this literally, it only strengthens the case of the historicity of the empty tomb because women saw them first. Yeah, I mean, so just as a little historical context, a woman's um, witness and testimony didn't even count in court back then. Mm-hmm. So like a eyewitness testimony of a woman wouldn't have legally counted. And so, you know, a lot of people say, well, okay, a myth maybe evolved of Jesus later that he rose from the dead. If a myth or a mythos or some kind of legend would have evolved, which first off is not enough time, like I said, yeah. we have we have the sources are from the first and second century. That's not enough time for legend to even be established. But even if it was legend, just being honest, this fact would have gotten changed. Mm-hmm. They would have changed it to men being the ones that claimed the resurrection, saw saw the resurrection first, because that would have established it more and made it more believable. But this is kind of just reporting what actually happened, even if it mm-hmm. seems like crazy, because back then, like, that would have been crazy. It's like, we don't even believe these people in court, and now we're going to, like, trust their testimony on the resurrection of Jesus? Well, that's what happened. So that's what mm-hmm. happened. And so, like like Alexa said, it just builds the case of the empty tomb, of the appearances, of him actually being resurrected. Um, so, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the third point is the letter I of alive, and it is independent appearances of Jesus alive after his death. So um, in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 to 8, this is a creed that, um, yeah, and we can tell by the way that it is written. Um, This passage, they've safely dated it to within just five years after the resurrection, which when I learned that, it was pretty surprising, mm-hmm. I guess, because, you know, so many people, I guess, like, non-biblical scholars and people that maybe have, like, biases, they're always like, oh, no, like, things were written hundreds and hundreds of years yeah. after Jesus or, like, decades after Jesus. So, mm-hmm. it's like, this one was pretty cool because it's only five years. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm just going to read it for you because I think it is so... Um wild like kind of like what it sums up so like i said first uh, corinthians 15 3 through 8 says this for what i received i passed on to you as of first importance that christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to cephas and then to the twelve after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time most of whom are still living though some have fallen asleep Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me, Paul, also, as to one abnormally born. And so you can see there he kind of just sums up, like, the events of what happened at the resurrection. 
Um, who, like, more like, Christians back then. Yeah, believed. just just a kind of a report and order, a creed. And one of the most amazing things he says here is how some of them are still living when he wrote this. Like, he was like, some of them are still living. Like, there were people around who were walking around saying this stuff that were still alive. Um, it's not like this happened, like we said, you know, 500 years later or 200 years later. Like, mm-hmm. no, nah, this was like what's going on like right now. Um, yeah. So that's just wild. Yeah, we can see the 500. Well, it's more than 500 yeah. at once in verse 6 of that. This is actually a verifiable statement because he's saying they're still alive. Mm-hmm. Like, you can literally go and talk to these people. And that is what historians look for, Yeah, which is pretty amazing. But, yeah, so in that passage, he's claiming that there are multiple independent experiences of people seeing Jesus. Yeah. So. And, you know, it's, and people are like, well, maybe they all collaborated or something like that. Well, then it's like, or maybe, like I said, maybe they were lying or something like that. They kind of, to explain away this fact. But then you raise the question of, yeah, but if these people are alive and around talking about this, Christianity was not the culture. Christianity was not accepted. Mm-mm. People were being killed for this. People were actively hunting these people down to kill them. Like, this is not something that you would just say flippantly and be like, well, nothing's going to happen if I say this. Like, no, these people must have sawed something, mm-hmm. Jesus alive, to be saying it. Because saying that knew, they knew that that's going to get them, like, in trouble. Killed. Yeah, killed, you know. And so, and again, they're alive. Like, it's not like people are claiming this 200 years later when it's like, oh, nothing's going to happen anymore. So I just, I just really think it's a powerful, uh, one of the most powerful um, evidences because it's, like you said, within five years after the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another point under this is the women that saw Jesus uh, when they went to go find him at the tomb. This was Matthew 28, verses 8 to 10. They, in these passages, like physically interacted with Jesus, meaning that it was literally a physical resurrection Mm -hmm. that they had experienced because there's a lot of people out there that you know once again try to explain things away and they're like oh it was a it was a spiritual resurrection Mm -hmm. it's like no and that kind of also takes us to the next point of this which is 10 of the apostles um that's in luke 24 36 to 43 and in john 20 as well he let the apostles touch him and he ate with them Mm -hmm. And then also, you know, we see in later on in John 20, verses 26 to 29, that Thomas, that's where we get the name, like, Doubting Thomas, mm-hmm. he wasn't there the first time that the apostles had seen Jesus. And he was like, I will believe it when I, like, touch the hole in his side. And then Jesus appeared, and he let him touch him. And so, he and he didn't pass through him, you know. And yeah. he and you know he ate with him. He got you know, and so, yeah. I think it's just another testament to this was not just some hallucination they had from guilt or something like that. It, it yeah, was like hallucination <laughs> is another thing that people try to yeah, say. Yeah, absolutely. But it, you can read it in like Case for Christ, where he actually goes and he talks to multiple people, and he brought that up. He was like, "Could it have been uh, like an hallucination?" And they're like, "No." That, yeah. 500 people at once do not see the same exact thing. Exactly. And you do not touch a hallucination. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah. 
But the vast majority of historians believe all of these to be true based on just normal ways of verifying a historical claim. So Yeah, I think that goes into like some we've talked about already, which is like the independent sources, the eyewitness testimony, how close was it to the event? Um, why would they be saying this? Like, well, you know, motive and stuff like that. Like, you know, there's a whole bunch mm-hmm. of things that historians do to make sure that a claim is either real or false or whatever. And historians agree. You know, I mean, this is not something that's debated as far as the facts. What's debated mm-hmm. is how do you explain the facts? <laughs> and that's where these different theories come in. But yeah, I think that's a really good point that you point out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so next is the V of a lie. This is violence endured by the apostles. So when Jesus was alive before his crucifixion and when he was with them, the apostles, then disciples, they didn't have the courage and the conviction to face death. Because mm-hmm. like when he was crucified, they scattered. Uh, Peter straight up denied Jesus, just even knowing him mm-hmm. three times. Uh, and afterwards, the disciples, they were depressed. They were discouraged and terrified. They were literally hiding in an upper room with the door locked. Yeah, the Bible, like, tells us that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it was, like, it, eh, it yeah. a point to say that, like, we're scared. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, so these are not the kinds of people that you would expect to be bold witnesses of Jesus. Mm-hmm. However something happened in their lives that changed them from being the cowering deserters that they were to confident martyrs. Yeah, and you know, even more background as far as a historical, cultural context that these people are in, the disciples were Jews. These guys mm-hmm. were, were Jews that believed in, in a coming Messiah, but their conceptions of a Messiah was not a dying messiah Mm -hmm. messiah especially not like a raising from the dead messiah like that is when when jesus died their thought was oh i guess he wasn't the messiah it was you know what i'm Mm -hmm. saying they've been like alexis was pointing out that's why they were all scared it's like oh well they killed him we were following him we're next and he obviously wasn't the right one so he's not worth dying for and so like their cultural religious historical cult uh, context also rules out any oh they stole the body or they the disciples made it up it's like no these were terrified people who had no reason to believe that jesus was coming back from the dead or you know anything like that and as it was mentioned earlier there was literally no possible way that somebody could have made it past about 16 (laughs) guards moved a stone and stolen the body there was just no way absolutely because they would have been killed And going back to, like, the dying Messiah thing, as it was mentioned earlier, like, it was embarrassing. Yeah, another embarrassing event. Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. Because, like, whose Messiah dies? Yeah, not not the Jews' (laughs) idea of a Messiah, really. I mean, the Old Testament idea that the Jews at that point in time would have thought was not this. They were were expecting political revolution to overthrow the Romans and Mm to uh, reestablish, you know, Jerusalem. Instead, he dies on a cross. For their sins. Yeah, it's like, uh, that's not our guy, Mm -hmm. um, for sure. Yeah, but, um, yeah, so going back to this point, the apostles proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus despite severe persecution and personal sacrifice, even to the point of death. Um, 
Yeah, so when people knowingly lie, it is always because of some perceived benefit. But the disciples had absolutely nothing mm. to gain. Like we said, they literally lost their lives. Mm-hmm. Almost every single one of them except for um, John, the son of Zebedee. Because he, though they did try to boil him alive, he was um, exiled. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he wrote revelations later. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure like, we know at the end of John that he wasn't going to die. Yeah. Yeah. Because that was something that Peter kind of pointed out. He was like, hey, Jesus, you just told me how I'm going to die. What about him? And Jesus <laughs> was like, don't worry about him. <laughs> don't worry about following me. Yep. I was like, oh, I love that. But, um, yeah, something that I kind of want to point out is, you know, um, my best friend, she has a roommate. And she uh, she's not together anymore with her ex-boyfriend, but he was an atheist. And he tried to challenge my best friend on you know her belief in god and he was like people die all the time for something that they believe but the thing about that is is that yes that is true and we can see it in things like 9-11 but these people are not dying for something that they saw with their own eyes Mm -hmm. like they are literally dying for a lie they don't know that it's a lie And Muslims, sadly, they do not have the assurance of salvation. They they get desperate. Mm -hmm. And that's just, that's very sad. Yeah, I think it also just points out, you know, again, that these disciples, the change they had. There was was Mm -hmm. a shift in their life going from, like Alexis said, cowards, deserters, Jews, to all of a sudden something happened. They said they saw, and, and on top of the evidence of, they said it's because they saw Jesus alive, and then all of a sudden they become these bold, heroic, you know, Christian martyrs who all, like she said, except for one, died in very mm-hmm. unpleasant ways. Yeah, <laughs> we're actually about to get uh, into the unpleasant ways that the apostles died. We know that they lost their lives. Um, our sources for this is the Bible, Josephus, who was mentioned earlier, and the early church fathers. So Matthew, he was killed by the sword for preaching in Ethiopia. Mark died in Alexandria after being dragged through the city. Luke was hung on an olive tree in Greece. James, the son of Zebedee, because there are two Jameses, he was beheaded in Jerusalem. We can actually read this in the book of Acts. Uh, James the Less was thrown from the temple, and then when that did not work, they stoned him to death. And wouldn't die, huh? Yeah. Um, Stephen, he was also stoned to death in Acts mm-hmm. as well. Yep. I think he was the first martyr. Mm-hmm. He was. was. Stephen was the first the first martyr. Mm-hmm. Philip was hung in, you want to say that word for me, Jimmy? Uh, Phrygia. Yeah. Okay. Going with Phrygia. <laughs> yeah. Bartholomew was flayed alive. If you don't know what that means, that means he was skinned alive. Andrew was bound to a cross with ropes, and he was then left to die of exposure. Jude, um, he was shot to death with arrows. Mm. Thomas was run through with a lance in East India. Matthias was stoned and then beheaded. Barnabas was stoned to death by Jews in Thessalonica. 
Paul, my boy, finally was beheaded in Rome. He did a lot. Yeah. (laughs) And then Peter, as mentioned earlier, was crucified supposedly upside down. And not a single one of these people recanted. And there's no rational basis for believing that they were knowingly lying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that's pretty powerful. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I think it just goes to show that, like, you know... Again, this is just that this whole section is just one fact on top of all the other facts. And when you start putting it all together, you're like, man, they went they went through a lot for for a lie. Because it's like, okay, maybe they definitely didn't steal the body then. Because I mean, I'm just being honest. I'm not getting skinned alive for something I know is a lie. Mm-hmm. I'm you know I'm just and I don't think you are either. You know what I'm saying? Like if I yeah. stole the body and someone's like, hey, if you just recant Jesus, I won't skin you alive. I'd be like, okay, yeah, I stole the body. He's, he's actually dead. I can show you the body, which they never found, by the way. Um, <laughs> another, yeah. another thing to point out. But so, yeah, I think it just goes building this case that we're going through, and it's just pretty powerful. Honestly, it kind of, this is not really, like, super off topic because it still de- deals with, like, religion, but, um, like, with Mormons, mm-hmm. they're like, Joseph Smith, he didn't have, like, any reason to lie. He had nothing to gain. It's like, yeah, he literally mm-hmm. did, because he had, like, 19 wives. And, lo- and, yep, he had wives and money. And, and a lot of land. <laughs> and a lot of land, yes. He he got plenty to gain um, yeah. from the things he was preaching. Um, and, there's, and, you know, there's very little uh, historical evidence for some for so many of the things he claims and all this stuff whereas and that was even more recent in time you know mm-hmm. and yet there's there's way less evidence if any as far as oh yeah there's absolutely yeah none. there's none as far as the, some of the things he claims i mean especially some of the things that mormons have claimed throughout history as far as big scale things well they like to say because like back then during the time of joseph smith they were trying to figure out like oh where did the native americans come from and he mm-hmm. was like from the Jews, because yep. he said that there was this man from Jerusalem named Lehi, and he came over to the Americas, mm-hmm. and that's how the Native Americans started. Mm-hmm. But Which, there's again, literal DNA evidence that says, yeah, that's that's not true. And if you're claiming that like your revelation is from God, and you have this massive historical inaccuracy, which the Bible doesn't like doesn't have that problem. The Bible is a historical document and can be affirmed. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, it just goes to show, like, okay, there's something different about this this resurrection thing and about the Bible, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. So, moving along, our fifth and final piece of evidence just for today, for this podcast, is the E of a lie, and that is enemies of Christ converted. Mm-hmm. So, James and Jude, uh, as mentioned earlier, these were the brothers of Jesus. They were the half-brothers. Because, remember, his real father was God, the father, (laughs) (laughs) not Joseph. Fair. Um, But in John 7, 5, it says, for even his brothers did not believe him. Mm -hmm. Uh, Before the crucifixion, James and Jude mocked Jesus. But, you know, um, they were radical Christians after the resurrection. Mm -hmm. And we can see that because they died. Yeah. They both died and both wrote parts of the Bible that we have nowadays, yeah. you know, and, and I mean, it kind of makes sense too. Like, you know, if your brother was claiming to be God incarnate, I'm just being honest, you'd be like, uh, 
I don't know about that, brother. You know? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> and then when he dies and is exactly. risen again, as he said he would, I'll be like, all right. Yeah, you were lying. You, you were right. You were right. I submit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's, again, it's just like, why did they convert? You know, mm-hmm. like, what? what's the explanation for his brothers all of a sudden mocking him up to his death and then all of a sudden becoming radical believers that were killed for their belief? Mm-hmm. Oh, do you know this stuff? This, like, holds up in court, too. Like, if your enemies are suddenly on your side. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. What do you mean? Like, so remember, it just goes back to, like, they have absolutely no reason to hmm. lie. Because they were your enemy. And then yeah. all of a sudden, they weren't. Yeah. Like, yeah. Cause, That's pretty like, wild. Like you said, they had absolutely nothing to gain. All three of them died. Yeah. I say three because Paul is the next one. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, he used to be Saul. Uh, he actually persecuted Christians, and he wanted to see the church destroyed. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, he had an, an encounter with the risen Christ. He didn't claim that he had a change of heart. He wasn't like, oh, I feel so bad now because yeah. of what I did, because I was persecuting Christians. Like, he was actually there during the death of Stephen. Yep. Like, that's really, really big. And... You know, like I said, he didn't say he had a change of heart. He claimed that he had an experience of seeing the risen Christ. Yeah. So then, you know, he went from persecuting Christians to dying because he was one. Yeah. And, you know, that just, it's like, why is it so important they didn't claim to have a change of heart? Well, it's because that's his explanation for his change, right? So he's an eyewitness. He was there during the time. He's persecuting Christians. And the reason why he said he is now a follower of Christ is like, is he said, well, I saw Christ and then it's, it's real. So I, mm-hmm. I had to change. He didn't like, like Alexis says, not like he just willed himself where it's like, mm, I guess I shouldn't be killing these Christians. Yeah, I feel bad now. He didn't. He felt great about what he was doing because he was like, that, and that, that was his whole purpose. It's like, I'm, I'm going to establish that like, you know, these Christian guys are not, not legit. They should all be dead. Destroy them. He thought he was doing it for God. Too. Yeah. He thought he was doing the Lord's work. And then the Lord appeared to him and said, hey, you're actually not. Go do the actual Lord's work. And then he wrote, you know, over half the New Testament. So, yeah. My favorite apostle. And in my personal opinion, the greatest evangelist of all time. Easily. Easily. Yes. Absolutely. He's awesome. Yeah. So these five facts that I gave today. Not a single one of them is controversial. Mm. All historians agree on these facts. Yeah. And, you know, now we might say that and be like, well, maybe you're Christian historians. It's like, no, no. any New Testament historian agrees on the facts. It's about how they explain the facts away where the differences come in. And, you know, if you've heard the name Bart Ehrman, um, he's an example of this, where he is an atheist. Um but, but he's a New Testament scholar, and he'll readily admit that these facts are all true. Like, historically, it's sound. Like, there's, there's no debate mm-hmm. in the facts. The, what he does, though, is he has to try and give a theory that explains all of them that's not the one given that the disciples gave. Christ was risen from the dead. Um, he has to say hallucinations. The disciples stole the body. Um, you know, Muslims have to say, well, Jesus the didn't twin really... The twin theory. Yeah, the twin theory, or Jesus didn't really die on the cross. You know, you have to say all these different things, and they just don't add up when you look at all the facts mm-hmm. um, and that are not controversial. And I just think it's 
kind of wild how you can have such strong evidence but people still won't believe and that just goes to show you know how how much we really are God's enemy <laughs> you know I mean God gives us all this evidence and people are still like mm, yeah but it's probably a hallucination yeah. I had never heard of the swoon theory until just the other day yeah the the swoon theory is the one where they were like oh he wasn't fully dead but you know like then how do you explain the blood in the water or just the fact that like Romans were like one of the pinnacle people at killing people. <laughs> oh, yeah. They had... Oh, I watched a very good YouTube video on that, like, maybe month, a few months ago, talking about how they, like, they absolutely just perfected the art of the cross. Yep. It's... And then on top of that, good. they stabbed him because they wanted to make sure Jesus was dead. Yeah. Like, they weren't messing around with Jesus. Um, and so, I don't know. I just think when you look at all these facts, it's pretty powerful. Yeah. And that's why his legs weren't broken, because he was already dead. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and, that, and again, that just prophecy. fulfills the prophecy from the Old Testament. Because normally, on a cross, they would break your legs because that would make you suffocate because you couldn't mm-hmm. break yourself yeah. up to breathe. Just to breathe, you had to push yourself up. And so once they were done with you making fun of you, they'd break your legs. Well, they just stabbed Jesus for this time, and then he was already dead, so they didn't break his legs. And that fulfilled the prophecy from the Old Testament that said not a single bone of his will be broken, um, which is, you know, that's more evidence, but you know, hey, we, we, like we said, we're just doing five. We're just doing five. That, that was a bonus one. That was a bonus one. <laughs> all right. Um, but now we're going to transition to the next, the next main question, which is okay. You gone through all this evidence and cool, but like, why is it so important the resurrection happened? Like, why is that such a big deal? Like, even even not including other tales of rising from the dead, the Bible itself talks about people rising from the dead. Lazarus was raised from the dead. There was that little girl that uh, Jesus uh, wrote, um, brought back to life. So what's so special about Jesus being risen from the dead? And um, I think part, well, the main reason is because you have to look at who Jesus said he was. So Jesus didn't just claim to be some other old dude or just some prophet. Jesus claims to be God. Jesus claimed to be God incarnate. He says, the Father and I are one. He talks about how he is the temple. And the temple is where God was the only place God could be in the Old Testament. So he's saying he is the temple. He is God. He even said the most blatant, I think, the most blatant point where he says, I am God, is where he says, before Abraham was, I I am. am. And that's a, the I am quote is the same words used Back in the Old Testament, when Moses asked, well, who shall I say sent me? And he says, I am. It's like, you know, it's this, it's this ultimate uh, phrase to denote, like, the God, the God of the universe. And Jesus claims that. That's why they killed him, because he was a blasphemer. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, the, but, well, he would have been one if well, he hadn't been God. Yeah, that's what, in the Jews' perspective, they were doing something good because he was claiming to be God, which would have been blasphemy, and so they had to kill him. And so, okay, let's say the Jews were right. Let's say that he was a blasphemer and he died. Why would God raise him from the dead? The only reason why, now, so if this person was raised from the dead, that is God vindicating everything Jesus said. And Jesus said some pretty big stuff like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. John 14, 6. John 14, there you go. Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus claimed to be the bread of life. 
So if God raised this person from the dead, then that is God vindicating everything he claimed to be, and he claimed to be God and our Savior and the way, and that we must follow him. And so, yeah, and, and then the final point of why it's so important that, like, Jesus was raised from the dead is that Lazarus died again. A little girl died again. Everybody that's ever been raised from the dead died again. You know, even, like, you know, Technically, you know, people die nowadays and come back to life. If your heart stops beating and you're dead for, you can be dead for, you know, five, seven minutes and come back to life, but they die again. You know what I'm saying? So it's like Jesus is, did not die again. Jesus is alive right now. And that's something that's really powerful about the Christian belief. Is that, yeah, I mean, you know, hallelujah, everything. Because he is alive right now for all eternity in his, in his resurrection body. Um, and again, he... He's not just some other old dude. He claimed to be God, claimed to be the only way to, to the Father and to heaven, and how you have to follow his commands, and he was raised from the dead. So God's, God's vindicating everything that he said. Mm, God is so good. He is so good. And he's, he's vindicated, vindicating, will vindicate. Amen. I, I think, man, that is just an incredible big picture there. It's just the global importance of the resurrection uh, within God's redeeming purpose for his entire creation to bring us closer to him uh, through nothing that we did on our own, uh, through no gift. Christ died for us while we were his enemies. Uh, and which is just, that's the importance um, for us as as human beings and, and as, as brothers and sisters and children of God. Um, and as much as that that is powerful enough on its own, there's a second part of the importance of the the crucifixion, uh, very much tied into that. Um, but I think that is related to like why is it important to me though? That I think a lot a lot of y'all will ask. And <laughs> if you if you know me, you'll you'll understand. Like for me to go into this part is a little funny because um kind of a, a sort of phrase that i've adopted is it ain't about you dude right so like <laughs> this is about god it ain't about it ain't about you but it's a question that i think most college students ask is like but okay what about me like why what is important to me in my life right now um and so to review and to and to drive the point home i think we remember that this season of Easter, this discussion that we're having is about the resurrection and about the birth and the life that we're offered in Christ. But there's, there's another part to it, which is Good Friday, which is the day we celebrate celebrate that our Lord and Savior died. Um, because the most important part of the crucifixion is, is that Jesus died to save us from the death we, we deserve and to allow for us to once again enjoy a relationship and a friendship with our Father in heaven. Like, full stop. Full stop. That is the purpose of death and of resurrection. Why was it important? Why is it so important? Because Jesus died to save us from our sins to make it personal, to save me from my sins. And yet he was not defeated. 
you know, it's extremely important to understand that Jesus was not simply sleeping like the girl that uh, Jimmy referenced in, in Mark 5, 38 to 42. If you want to read the story, Jesus appeared to uh, a home and everyone's crying around. And he said, why are you crying? The girl is just sleeping. She's not dead. And walked in and told her to wake up. And the, the girl was dead, but he called her up from the sleeping. Um, and, and he very intentionally used like she is sleeping because in that moment, even Jesus had such authority over death that he could just call people back. Um, but for, for him, he was dead. Jesus was dead. Uh, one of the things you may wonder too, is like, what is the importance of three days? Why does it matter that he was dead for three days and not like one day or five days? Because when we think of death, if somebody dies for a day, like you're like, okay, they're dead, right? <laughs> like when somebody dies and it's been a whole day, they're dead, man. Uh, but at the time uh, within the Jewish culture, when somebody died, um, it was thought that their spirit stayed with them for uh, two days after their death. Um, and it wasn't until the third day that their spirit left them. So if Jesus were to have returned earlier than three days, which he certainly could have, uh, it would have presented the opportunity for other people uh, to blaspheme his great plan. Um, it still would not have had any less effect. Uh, it would still would not have been any less effective in defeating death. Uh, he, as we know, now, if you're dead for a day, you're dead. He was dead and he rose again. Um, but the three days uh, provided, erased any doubt for anyone at the time period that he was dead. Um, to drive the point home even further, uh, when Jesus was hung on the cross, he after he did die, he uh, one of the guards stabbed him in the side. And it said that uh, blood and water came out from him. Uh, and when you actually look at the science of death, of what happens within the body after you die, there's a separation of kind of the components of your blood that is blood and the components of your, your blood and your internal, uh, body fluid that is, that is water. And so if you just are to stab someone that's been dead, it takes several days. It takes like, it takes a period of time. Like you have to really, really, really be dead. <laughs> um, but basically with what would come out would be blood and water. And this happened like shortly after Jesus died. So that even us now can understand that he was even in that moment, very dead. Um, and if finally, like if we look at just the process of crucifixion and, uh, and I'm sorry if I'm like beating a dead horse here, but <laughs> you know, graphic warning, crucifixion is horrifying. It takes days. You essentially drown in your own pleural fluid, which is your lungs, your lung fluid and your blood while you're suspended by like literal nails in your wrists and feet. Like it's terrible. And this happened. This happened to our Lord and Savior. Jesus died. And for us on a personal level, that's important because he did it for us. Um, and not as a, a gift, not so we can talk about it because talking about it's horrible. <laughs> that's not what we mean by for us for us is like in our place. That is, that is what we deserve. And Jesus died for us to take that penalty once and for all as a, as a perfect person, as, as fully human, fully God, he died that death for us. And when we believe in Christ, we are crucified with him. 
Uh, Galatians 2.20 says, For I was crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And for us, for me, as your kind of college application, it's important because it has happened, it is happening, and it will happen, which doesn't make sense, but it does. When we put our old selves to death uh, on the cross, we, we are joining into this process with God, uh, accepting, accepting what he has already done, is doing, and will do for us. And uh, I think that so often we can become discouraged uh, and even driven away by the fact that that we're not like perfectly sanctified the moment we place our trust in God. Um, but you know, for for a variety of reasons, uh, including the broken nature of the world around us, we're we're stuck in a place of what we sometimes call is like the now but not yet, uh, which is just a um, fancy way to say a, a process, <laughs> a process. Um, that explains the the has happened is happening and will happen. Um, perhaps a perhaps a, an analogy for this uh, in the context of the story as we think of it as we're thinking of it now in the context context of the Good Friday and Easter story is that uh, we can kind of compare our lives as Christians to to the journey that Christ took to the cross. So when we believe in Christ, we, we are crucified with him because it is an event that has happened. Um, but it is also an event that is happening and will happen. And by that, it means that the is happening is our life. As we, as we take up the cross, as we carry the cross towards the final destination uh, of Jesus' return uh, and, our, and our ultimate uh, reaccompaniment with him, uh, as part of the death, as part of the death. So we look at, so like Luke nine, 23 says, he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And so that's what we do. We take up the cross daily, uh, in an effort to follow God. And it's, a, it's tough. Um, the journey to the cross, the journey to the death, uh, for Christ was brutal. Uh, he was whipped along the way. He was ridiculed, stones thrown at him. He was carrying uh, carrying his own cross uh, the length of the city to be set up to die. And that's where we are to think of it in an analogy. Um, it's not perfect. And I, and, and I say that with a disclaimer that uh, I, I kind of got to it at first and, and now to disclaim again, like this is not the purpose of Christ's death. His purpose is not to be an analogy for our life. Um, the purpose of Christ's death and of his resurrection uh, is to fulfill God's ultimate plan for the world and to uh, provide salvation for us. Again, full stop. But in a way, it does also provide, uh, I think, a very useful analogy um, as we struggle in this life as Christians. It won't be over until he returns for us. But the great joy is that Christ also had complete control over his death, even at the time of his own death. 
like the crucifixion is a process. The crucifixion is horrifying. And most people try to hang on as long as they can. It's just a human instinct. But God in Christ, he said, it is finished and then died. And then Ray was raised again. So we can be comforted by the fact that that even in suffering or turmoil, or trial or tribulation, God is in full control. Uh, and he is providing this beautiful opportunity of life for us because he he has offered his own sacrifice for us to believe in. Uh, and I just want to wrap up with Colossians 1, 18, uh, which says he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He was born again, not to die again. He was born to live and to be the firstborn of a multitude of brothers and sisters, which we are so blessed to be called to be a part of. So did the resurrection happen? Mm, yeah. <laughs> and is it important? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we'll get into those questions again and, and a few more here uh, as we move on. All right. And I guess we're going to wrap up with our lightning round now. Um, so we're just going to do real quick, go through the acronym ALIVE. So A, what, what does A stand for? A death by crucifixion. Which is attested all right so then we got what's next l ladies saw jesus first after the resurrection next is i that is independent appearances of jesus alive after really? his death v is violence endured by the apostles and e is enemies of christ converted remember this is just five there are more yeah there's more and there's you can you can spend a whole doctoral thesis if you want to on <laughs> going into the depth of this and um and finally well why does all that matter because jesus claimed to be the way truth and the life and that there's no, no other way the except through him except through him john 14 6 that's right and so if you want to get to the father meet god you got to go through jesus um so absolutely that's the lightning round for today that's the lightning round and that is our episode if you are interested in even deeper discussions about this question or about other Christian topics, reach out to us. Uh, search for Crew Campus Ministry at KentuckyAnnaCrew.org. Send us an email or a note on anchor.fm slash the Lou Crew and you. Please do that. Please send us a note. You can actually leave us a voice message. It'd be really cool. I was still waiting for somebody to leave me a voice message on there. Uh, anchor.fm slash the Lou Crew and you. Uh, or find us on social media at Louisville crew which is our hashtag if you're not used not hashtag wow i sound old it's it's our uh username if you're not familiar at louisville crew uh, any one of the student leaders will be available to get a coffee or a donut or dairy castle because that's open um you know whatever your fancy is but uh let us know we look forward to hearing from you um one other thing as we celebrate Good Friday and look forward to Easter, uh, I just wanted to 
throw out there that I am also kicking off a personal project uh, to follow Christ by faith and fitness, which incidentally is also the name of my new Instagram account where I will be posting videos uh, as I, I literally take up a cross daily, uh, doing a brief Bible verse and prayer, uh, and then taking some physical steps uh, with that cross to mirror the spiritual steps in my faith journey. So uh, it's going to be kind of an exciting project. It's just sort of something I'm doing for myself, but also hoping that God can use, uh, praying that God can use to further his kingdom. So give us a follow if you're interested, please. And also join in, like join in, send me videos of, of you as well. Um, let's make this a community. Uh, it's at discipline underscore and underscore the underscore daily underscore cross. So at discipline and the daily cross um, with underscores for the spaces on Instagram. Awesome. I feel so weird shouting myself out on this podcast. So uh, got through that. Thanks. <laughs> As always, I want to close up with a shout out to Noah Wilder, to Alexis, to Lauren, to Jimmy for being a part of this podcast, just for their tireless contributions, their boundless joy in this project. Um, I want to shout out to John Dunn, uh, for being a sounding board for me. Uh, and a shout out to Garrett Metz for our theme music. Uh, we always want to say glory to God for his provision in creating the opportunities for this podcast to become a reality, to stay a reality. Uh, and as always pray that his name and his kingdom be glorified in every way possible. Um, so thankful to, for the opportunity to be a part of this podcast. Um, and thankful that Y'all are on this journey with us. I uh, want to say happy Easter. Uh, go out and celebrate. Don't eat too many Easter bunnies <laughs> or do uh, and candy and, and rejoice because our Lord is risen. Stay safe, everybody. Have a blessed week. Satan. Yeah, or you just go away. We're trying to do something. F off.